and market conversations. Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Art and Market Conversations. My name is Nadia and I'm editor at Art and Market, where we take an incisive look at what is defining and transforming the business of art in Asia, presenting news, insights and analysis from a vantage point in Southeast Asia. Today, my first guest for AM Conversations will be Wang Zineng, founder of Art Agenda SEA, an art agency established in 2016 offering advisory, curatorial and market intelligence services, particularly in its expertise area of modern and post-war Asian art. Zineng was previously specialist of Southeast Asian art at Christie's from 2008 to 2016 and since 2017 has been a consultant for the auction house Bonhams. This month, he will begin work as Head of Modern and Contemporary Art Asia at Bonhams, where he will lead auction and private sales in the category across Asia. He will spearhead business and client development along with his regional team of specialists, working with the wider global team on all sales and projects. With his extensive experience in the auction world, he is the perfect person to speak about auctions in Asia, which this episode focuses on. Zineng, welcome. Thank you. Now let's talk about how auctions began in Asia. Who brought the first auctions to Asia and where? Were there sales rooms in Singapore, for instance, or has Asian art always only been auctioned off in Hong Kong? No, definitely um, the auction scene... um was very much more kind of lively in the in the nineties. It isn't like today's uh, auction scene, primarily centered on Hong Kong. Um, if we think back, uh, the the history of auctions in Asia is a comparatively short history of pretty much only 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, the auction houses, the sort of four big auction houses, in no particular order. Christie's, Sotheby's, Bonhams, Phillips, um, have all been around for over 200 years. Right. And in Asia, uh, it's pretty much only a 30, 40 year history. In the 90s, this was when the auctions really uh, began to be established in Asia as a whole new group of uh, collectors came to the fore. A lot of material um, which which had previously only been offered in European, principally European, a little bit of American auctions, uh, began to be bought brought back uh, bought back by Asian buyers, and so the natural uh, progression in the way the market evolved was to have these auctions come to Asia and be located within Asia. So in the early nineties at that time, um, in Taipei, in Singapore. Um, you had the auctions of 20th century Chinese and Southeast Asian art as we know it. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, there was already a great number of sales in Japan and Japanese buyers were some of the first uh, buyers from Asia to to be participating in the international art market. But really, the 90s was a time when uh, it became a much more uh, broad-based Activity going mm. to auction, um, and and it was regional in a sense. It wasn't pan Asian as it is, very much so today in Hong Kong. It was it was regional in the sense that twentieth century Chinese art um, 
you know, featuring the lights of uh, Wu Guanzhong, Zhao Ji, Ling Feng Mian, Zhu De Chen, and artists of uh, uh, born in the early 20th century, Chinese artists born in the early 20th century, they were being offered for sale in Taipei. In Singapore, um, it was essentially an aggregation of all these national markets, uh, the market for Indonesian pictures, uh, Filipino paintings, uh, Thai art, all of that came to be very naturally consolidated in Singapore in the early 90s. And that was when um, the Christie's and Sotheby's began to host sales in Singapore back then. Right. So that was really how um, auctions in that sense began in Asia. And how did they do in the 90s? I mean, who were the collectors who were interested in these sales back when it first started? It wasn't always only trade buyers. I mean, mm. um, um, the history of the, the sort of 30, 40-year uh, evolution of auctions in the world has principally been a story of how uh, trade buyers and dealers participating in auctions have began to be supplanted by private buyers, uh, private collectors at auction. But where it began in Asia, you already had private clients uh, right there from day one, but participating in the sales and um, acquiring things for their personal collections, many of which are still in these original collections built since the late 80s, the 90s. Right, and how do we understand auctions and the development of auctions in um, Southeast Asia during the 90s? I mean, if we think about, you know, the formation of the National Heritage Board in Singapore, for instance, or like the Biennals and the Triennals that were taking place, that were launching in the 90s, how do we understand this ecosystem that was developing in the 90s in Southeast Asia? It was a very interesting time, actually, um, um, and it has a parallel to, to uh, what has happened in Singapore uh, in terms of the Southeast Asian scene in the past few years. Back then, night in the early 90s, when uh, Christie's and Sotheby's began offering sales from 1994 and 96 onwards, uh, respectively, uh, that was the sort of time that uh, the National Heritage Board, the, the umbrella statutory board... Right. In Singapore, in charge, of course. In Singapore. Yep in charge of establishing the uh, various uh, types of museums in Singapore. That had been established. I think uh, the National Heritage Board uh, began in 1993 and uh, the Singapore Art Museum began operations a couple of years right after. So this period of the mid-90s, early mid-90s, was, um, was a time of institution building in terms of the museums, in terms of the art market. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the activities uh, uh, came to be uh, developing in parallel with each other. Curators were looking at how to build um, a modern and contemporary art collection for the museums, just as private collectors at that time uh, were, were in parallel developing their collection in a big way. So it was really an exciting time and... Um, you, you saw in the uh, after 2010 when um, in Singapore we were developing the National Gallery mm -hmm. and at the same time um, uh, well I mean this this development of the National Gallery taking place pretty much sort of 20 years after 
the establishment of the National Heritage Board, it takes place against a market backdrop that I think is, uh, is, has evolved quite a fair bit. You definitely don't have the kind of, uh, say, auction excitement in the 2010s uh, in Singapore, particularly, uh, just as the National Gallery Singapore is being established versus what you had, a more, you might argue, a more complete ecology in the 90s. Okay. And what about in between, you know, in the mid to late 2000s? I recall that contemporary artists from Southeast Asia were fetching sensational prices at auctions. Could you tell us more about that? I'm thinking in particular, you know, Indonesian artists such as Masriyadi, Christian Aiju. Tell us more. The mid-2000s uh, was a time when uh, the market for Asian contemporary art, contemporary art uh, meaning uh, artworks created by living artists, um, began to take off in a, in a most remarkable way. Um, again, you know, looking at a 20-30 year recent history of auctions in, in Asia, uh, this was a very, very uh, marked and distinct phenomenon. Um, the artists who were taking her off in the market in the nineteen uh, uh, in the two thousands, they're really uh, a generation of artists born in the early nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. pretty much. And and uh, by the time that they had graduated, which would have been the late nineties, and began to create their first few uh, series of works in the early two thousands, there the way they're their career was were beginning to flourish and take off is pretty much uh, um, tied in with the way that the market was taking off at that time. So um, buyers, be it uh, collectors or a very distinct phenomenon for that time, speculators in art, um, began to come in and focus their 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 transactional activities on this group of um, early 70s born artists um, buying in bulk buying and selling rather quite quickly uh, so you saw all the advantages of a uh, fast churning market uh, artists lives were improved mm. dramatically uh, but you also saw in that sense the flip side of a burgeoning market uh, how how uh, oversupply um, began to to put down quality and and make for less sustainable artistic careers. Right. I mean, at this time, you were a specialist at uh, Christie's. Maybe you could tell us about what it was like, you know, to work with these artists or work with their galleries to kind of push their market up, so to speak. It uh, the the function of the specialist. Uh, during that particular moment in time, the mid to late uh, 2000s, uh, um, coming just before the cliff phase fall of the market uh, in, 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 the late, uh, in late 2008 due to the global financial crisis, the role that specialists would have played then is very different from today. It's more like a gatekeeper function. What you were doing was like uh, um, trying to prevent... Uh, bad art, trying to prevent a very mediocre material from coming into the sale. You had no lack of consignments. 
Do you, you mean from these artists who are getting these really high prices? Yes, volume increased uh, dramatically okay. uh, at auction in those few years, mm-hmm. and a great deal of the increase uh, came in the in the uh, category of contemporary art mm. made by younger emerging contemporary artists. Okay, a certain generation of of classic first generation contemporary artists, uh, they definitely were also part of this whole milieu, but their works just weren't uh, coming to the to the market as, as much as the younger generation. Okay, so, so we played this kind of gatekeeper function to 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 uh, select only the very best of um, art that could come into the market. So are we now talking about wet canvas works? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, at that time, um, the 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 term to describe this new art that uh, was flooding the market is uh, wet canvas consignments. So wet canvas works, wet canvas consignments, are essentially works that uh, very quickly move from the studio environment to the auction room, bypassing uh, a more normative primary market circulation in that the work from the studio should actually have gone into an exhibition organized by a dealer or a gallery, uh, would have been purchased by a private collector from day one, maybe kept for a few years, um, and, and, and then finding its way naturally back onto the secondary market. All of that was short-circuited uh, for these more direct uh, and in a way riskier um, flow directly from the studio to the auction room. Right. And did you see that this worked well or didn't work well or it depended on the artist? Or? It was a sign of the times and mm-hmm. and it, it took place for a few years and um, careers were made, money was made, money was lost um, and and the market has moved on from 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 these uh, very distinct practices in the mid 2000s i mean uh, from our from our point at this time in 2019 looking back at things that have happened more than a dozen years ago uh, it it definitely has become very clear to us that um, uh, that kind of practices at that time is not sustainable in the long term for for careers Artists do, at the end of the day, have to be uh, presented through um, thoughtful, insightful exhibitions, first and foremost, before their broader market and their secondary markets can really be established. Right. It's interesting you're talking about exhibitions and, I guess, galleries' responsibilities to represent their artists' interests well. Because we are also seeing, you know, auction houses using innovative ways of engaging with their audience. So, for example, I'm thinking about private sales or even selling exhibitions. These have become quite the norm with auction houses of late. Um, Could you talk about what the appeal of these latter options are in terms of their relation to auction sales, like in the sale room, happening with, like, the bidding and the hammering, what do private sales and selling exhibitions offer that auctions do not? It's a recent phenomenon in Asia as well. I mean, uh, almost everything is a recent phenomenon, but uh, private sale exhibitions uh, have only come about uh, pretty much since uh, 2010, 11, after the wipeout of the global financial crisis and the establishment really of a new uh, mode of business, a new consciousness in the 
in the auction world uh, in Asia uh, after that. I think uh, the, the auctions still have to be central uh, and still are central to, to the operations of uh, all of the major auction houses in the world. But to uh, where, where, where development happens so fast in Asia, um, at times the, the secondary market players like auction houses do have to uh, play the function of a primary market promoter in essence to mount certain activities such as exhibitions that can uh, increase the appreciation of audiences towards the art uh, that, that uh, the auction house is focusing on. So the, the rise of all of these activities is, is really a response to the need for more knowledge within the scene as a whole. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, definitely as well, uh, the increasing popularity of contemporary art uh, since a dozen plus years ago, um, that has meant that there's greater pressure uh, right. as, as well as greater demand to, to, for audiences to live with contemporary art mm-hmm. on, a, on a more regular basis. And so the auction sales taking place every six months uh, as uh, spring and, and fall you know, events, uh, uh, big sort of highlight events, is just no longer enough in the, in the art calendar. Right. You feel like you have to supplement it uh, all through the calendar year with um, other activities. Mm. Could you tell us more about selling exhibition that you've done? I mean, maybe the ritual and culture um, that you've uh, organized with Bonhams. There have been two editions, right? And how did they come about? And you know, what was their unique selling point? Ritual and culture is is an auction concept, uh, and primarily takes place uh, within the context of a classical auction sale. Uh, the the distinguishing point about Ritual and Culture is how uh, with Edward Wilkinson, um, the head of uh, Indian, Himalayan and Southeast Asian art at Bonhams, we derived the idea to juxtapose modern and contemporary art, art of the 20th century mm-hmm. in Southeast Asia, with cultural artefacts mm. from a pre-modern period. Right. So... I guess I was asking the wrong question there because I was thinking of it as a selling exhibition, but it's not. It was a selling category and it was still taking place in a sale room with bidding. Um, what about a selling exhibition that you have organised maybe with Christie's and you could tell us you know, what were, what attracted people to come to the exhibition and, and I guess the, the clientele for that? These sort of exhibitions um, that were organised um, are always, always keep in mind the idea of uh, developing a market further. Um, at auction, you have certain limitations. I mean, the main function of an auction sale is to be an effective uh, marketplace, a clearinghouse. Uh, so artworks that are accepted in for sale um, is in a very efficient way dealt with, passed on from seller to buyer. In the context of an exhibition, uh, you get much more scope for experimentation. You get much more scope for uh, creating content that grows appreciation. So, for instance, in a in a um, 
2014 exhibition that I had done at Christie's Hong Kong, uh, where we focused on gathering works of a group of Chinese artists based in Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, that the title of that exhibition was, uh, well, rather unimaginatively titled as uh, Chinese Artists in Southeast Asia. Well, um, I guess it was what it was. Factually accurate. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What we noticed at that time was this uh, growing consciousness of, of a, a uh, in that sense, a Chinese diaspora, not just, uh, not just artists, who had, artists and individuals who had left uh, mainland China or through the early 20th century and... Uh, uh, going to the West, but also within within Asia, that kind of uh, um, outflow from the southern part of uh, southern parts of China uh, to other parts of um, Asia, particularly Southeast Asia. Um, my area of concern is uh, Southeast Asia. So at that time, what we did was to uh, gather uh, the works of ethnic Chinese artists uh, who were living in and working in Southeast Asia put them all together and, and juxtapose their works uh, against each other um, to show up perhaps uh, a certain uh, distinct trait you might be able to identify in their works, mm-hmm. something that might speak of Chineseness. Or maybe uh, if you see the show, um, you might not notice anything at all. So uh, the idea was to just put things out there and allow for these kind of interpretations and connections to 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 manifest, but we weren't exactly making a very strident point or two about what uh, one should expect of Chinese artists. Okay, and in this exhibition, I'm sure you had you know the more established artists and the more under the radar artists. Is that is that correct? Yes, I think uh, in in Asia there is a lot of scope for discovering uh, the twentieth century. Uh, we have really only, um, in this whole time, scratched the surface of uh, what what uh, this kind of depth of uh, 20th century Asian art. Uh, we know the blue chip artists. We've began to establish a certain kind of a canon uh, through primarily at auction, uh, through uh, looking at prices mm-hmm. of top artists in the region. But we haven't really began to look so much at Art movements that were crucial and central to to the discourse of the post-war eras. So there is still a great deal of room um, to look at within the individual national histories, um, the functions that art movements uh, and certain iconoclastic artists, uh, what role they played in developing um, art within the region. Mm. I think this is something that people might not know auction houses do, you know, sort of to also give exposure to unknown artists or less known artists because we, I think we tend to think that's the remit of the primary market, right? With like the galleries kind of putting up a show and then maybe then the auction houses taking notice like, oh, this is an interesting artist. Perhaps we could see if there's a market for this artist. But from what you're telling me I and also from my own observations, I think that auction houses actually have lots of power in that sense to kind of put front and center artists that they find interesting on their own and kind of then getting the rest of the the art community to take notice um 
Could you also talk about, you know, in, in terms of that, right, the proliferation of local auction houses and how they coexist with international houses, do you feel that local auction houses are more kind of tied to or have closer links to the local art community and can therefore or have therefore, you know, put together auction sales that might have thrown up some interesting names as well? Uh, yes, Principally, I think uh, local auction houses in the sense that they operate only in one uh, country, one city, or uh, one area, uh, as opposed to uh, the, the international auction houses that uh, have, have various sales rooms around the world. Uh, these local houses have a central and extremely important role in forming the outline of uh, a, a, a a region's market, a certain country's market, because most of the time they're much more connected to developments on the ground, so to speak. Um, they can more quickly identify trends, uh, uh, new ways of thinking about uh, artists. Um, and so if they're able to reflect uh, uh, taste, and new new thinking about the art market in in their sales, it becomes a very uh, useful feedback channel for the rest of the market and for the bigger international houses. Mm. So in that sense, uh, a certain hierarchy of um, um, information and activity begins to form. Uh, the local houses are uh, at the crucial kind of uh, foothills of, of this um, uh, mountain form, if you like, mm-hmm. and and uh, the auction houses at the at the top, the international houses at the top, then then filter uh, the selection, and and make even more distinct the trends that have uh, emerged from observation of the sales through the local houses. Right. So. What are the names of these local houses? If we think about, for example, in Singapore, we have 33 Auction, we have today. Masterpiece. Yep. Oh, today, yes. Um, what were the auction houses that were around in the 2000s? You know, when we're talking about like the booming sort of Southeast Asian art market. Yes, in the early 2000s, uh, after Christie's and Sotheby's had established themselves in, in Singapore particularly, uh, and Christie's left to do its first uh, Southeast Asian art sale in Hong Kong in uh, the start of 2002, there began to be, I guess, a certain uh, amount of space mm. uh, in the in, in the business environment for local auction houses to come in. Mm. And so the very first few local auction houses weren't particularly local in a sense. They were all Indonesian-owned. Uh, Larasasi and Borobudur began to uh, come in and... and fill up the gap uh, left by Christie's. And by the time that uh, Sotheby's uh, also moved its sale of Southeast Asian art to Hong Kong in 2007, um, that period and in the in the few years that en- ensued, the local auction houses definitely took over uh, the, the entire volume of what was transacted at auction in Singapore um, at that time. And do you see differences in prices or practices between the local houses and international houses? It's a... Yes, 
definitely the local houses uh, uh, being founder led, founder owned, and and having a much more kind of a, a smaller but more nimble setup mm-hmm. could offer more interesting and flexible arrangements with buyers and sellers. So uh, in in all in all transactions, really, uh, the local houses have much more uh, uh, scope for for developing practices that that would otherwise uh, not be seen with the international houses. Right. Could you elaborate? Because it's not very clear what you're saying. It's sort of. In terms of uh, transactions, certain uh, houses may be able to um, um, do more flexible uh, payment terms, for mm. instance, that the that the larger houses uh, bound by a, a, a more conventional uh, international set of uh, best practices would not be able to do. Right. That's definitely at least one area. Okay. And... If we're thinking more about what's happening today, I mean, because we, from our conversation so far, we can see that there have been, of course, developments in the auction house landscape, uh, or the auction landscape, rather. And could you tell us about trends you're seeing at auction recently? So I'm thinking about more uh, cross-category sales that have emerged. Yes. Um, yeah, tell us your views about that. Cross-category sales are interesting because uh, definitely... Um, Today's today's uh, art collector is is a uh, uh, a much more open to the idea of collecting across categories in in order to create a a collections that are more lifestyle centric, so to speak. Yeah, we, we we talk in general. I mean, you still have uh, people at the at at the polarities of things which are who are very much into their own category, who take an extremely connoisseurial approach to uh, collecting, for instance. But the broader group of buyers in the middle of the park are people who collect with the idea of uh, creating a certain lifestyle. So art combined with uh, modern and contemporary design is definitely a very... uh, uh, new and exciting way to 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 think about mm-hmm. um, and and as the as we begin to move more into the 21st century a great deal of late 20th century and uh, early 21st century digital art mm-hmm. um, ephemeral ad- addition works uh, these all come into the fore and um, um, all of this material would very soon and and they have actually found their way into sales rooms and so uh, they these provide the foundation for establishing cross category sales you you have a much more democratic uh, taste wave amongst a, a younger set of collectors today and uh, how they see things are influencing um, previous generations of collectors and buyers who have emerged Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the feedback is always two ways. Uh, uh, the so-called younger, less experienced collectors uh, come in and observe um, the older generation, and the previous generation looks at uh, these emerging um, trends set by the younger people. And so, yes, definitely, uh, it's uh, the the 
auction scape is changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, becoming more diverse, a greater spectrum of material being offered, um, greater price points as well, as well as uh, the channels from which uh, transactions take place. Traditionally, always physically at auction, you might be able to call in, you might be in the room, you might leave a written bid. Today, uh, uh, a great deal of bidding takes place online. A great deal of artworks are transacted without uh, having been cited by their eventual buyers mm-hmm. and bidders um, in person. And, um, of course, private sales. Private sales are uh, taking place in the context of uh, uh, an auction, uh, well, created by an auction house, really. Right. I want to pick up on a couple of things you've said. So pretty much what you're saying is that nowadays the collectors' tastes are more eclectic. Uh, They're more open to collecting something that they might not have had interest in before. They might be persuaded to collect something that is new, it's exciting, has a cool factor. Um, and also the idea of private sales because, I mean, if you can bid online, that's also quite private in the sense that you're not seen in person. People yes. don't really know what you're collecting. There's still that privacy that, that prevails. Um if we think about that, what do you think also of the popularity of graffiti or street and urban art in auction or at auction? Because you mentioned digital art, but there's also the idea of, you know, what's on the streets kind of becoming really popular. For example, we see the Cosmania here in, in Asia, especially Very with much so. uh, Philippe's sales, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, not just Philips, but uh, all through. I mean, uh, uh, Cos uh, market has been um, growing uh, steady, very, very exciting uh, upward trajectory since uh, right about 20, 2016. And uh, the, the record prices set uh, last year in 2018 uh, from the second half onwards. Uh, it's all indication of a, of, of a big, big, big turn in the market. I mean, um, street art as a, as a commercial category um, has never really has never really been seen that way until pretty much uh, in the past decade. Although street art uh, has, has has been created uh, since the nineteen eighties, uh, but it's uh, it's grown out of a of a, uh, a very distinct urban phenomenon in New York City with the subways and trains uh, uh, back then in the 80s um, it's not it's definitely not an Asian phenomenon although um, in that sense Asian practitioners of street art have, have, have come out since uh, the 90s um, so even in this area of street art urban and graffiti uh, art uh, we will see I think uh, a growing list of artists we will see, I think, as well, um, them, the, the art and the artists themselves bringing in a newer group of uh, collectors who might not at all be familiar with how auctions work, but it's uh, to their advantage to figure out how it works if they wish to lend certain pieces. Um, and, and through all these developments, uh, you will see as well the participation of uh, existing collectors who perhaps in the past would have never thought about collecting urban art or good examples of street art, but um, um, just because it is, it is part of the 
environment today, they begin to consider and uh, uh, want to pick up these um, examples of works as well. Mm. Okay, great. And what can we look forward to in your new role at Bonhams? We are at Bonhams uh, very much focused uh, on the modern and post-war era. Um, we want to, in our sales, present a very uh, uh, exciting picture, a picture that may not always be that coherent because obviously as well the history of um, art from the 50s to the 80s in Asia is one that has many, many sub-narratives that can still be conjured up, uh, discovered. Uh, and, and as we were talking earlier, um, many, many historically undervalued artists uh, whose markets can be risen. So the, the bottom sales of the near future will be ones in which we'll, we'll see um, a, an attempt to connect really the very various uh, and, and very disparate uh, national histories of post-war art all coming together. Uh, we will try to put together sales that are that define uh, and grow the canon of uh, post-war Asia, and that that will be the main focuses of uh, the sales at Bonhams, in and and by the extension, a set of um, exhibition program at the Bonhams Hong Kong Gallery, um, where we will look at historically undervalued artists. It's it's a there is a certain advantage because we're the only auction house in Hong Kong, uh, and of course the auction center is uh, squarely located in Hong Kong today, and we are the only auction house in Hong Kong that uh, holds sales and exhibitions and previews at our own office venue, and so there is a great flexibility uh, and a and a uh, faster responsive rate for us to put together things that respond uh, immediately to to market evolving market taste mm. and we aim not to just do that but also to shape uh, um, taste ways by by our exhibition and sales program right okay thank you so much for joining me in the first episode of art and market conversations thank you and thank you for sharing your insights into the auction landscape in asia and for all of you out there, thank you for listening. Please go to our website at artandmarket.net for insights, news, analysis and profiles related to the business of art in Asia and follow us on Instagram at artandmarket for updates. Till next time.